So welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. I'm delighted to be speaking to the person who gave me my first job in media. And that's Peter Bruce, who's, of course, a well-known South Africa newspaper min person who has uh, been editor of many of our best titles in this country, from Business Day to Financial Mail, now my fellow columnist for the stable in the Arena Holdings, also an editor at large, and someone I've enjoyed over the years following his work and also engaging him on many of the country's hot-button issues. We've just had a local government elections, and I asked Peter, who very kindly agreed to take time out on the Saturday afternoon that we're busy doing the recording, to just shoot the breeze for about 20 minutes or so on some of the most important top-line messaging that comes out of the data. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Peter, thanks so much for agreeing to come on. It's wonderful to be colleagues again and to have you on my podcast. Oh, well, look, I mean, the last time we, we saw each other, I was on your show on 702. So um, it's it's kind of familiar territory and I feel safe. And I know that you already know more than me about what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I'll do my best. Well, you've got some advantages over me. You've been in journalism much longer. You've got good comparative analyses between this country and other countries like the UK, where you've observed politics for a long time as well, which brings me straight to the first issue I want us to discuss. For me, one of the highlights coming out of the data is very simple, that the hegemony of the ANC and then the hegemony of the ANC and the DA combined is being dislodged. What for you is your big takeaway if you were in charge of the Sunday Times tomorrow or explaining what happened to a foreigner? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, first of all, just personally, I hate saying personally I, but personally, I just feel a huge sense of relief. I don't know about you, mm. but I looked at those numbers and I just said, thank God, thank God it's over. Mm. Done. You don't come back from 46% in this election. Mm. Suddenly at the ANC, back to 53 or 54, it's not, it's not, this is not going to happen. Mm. Um, and... So, you know, whether you – the Sunday Times is, is, is um, you know, is fond of um, one-word headlines when it gets really excited, and I can't think of a single word to describe what has happened. Mm. Um, but, but, but there is no turning back now, I don't think. Mm. Um, and I think the landscape has changed completely. I, don't, I can't describe to you how, partly because the data is very difficult to – if fine, you know, what's happened, Eusebius, if you, if you try and look up, you know, what has happened in various wards and God knows what around the country, mm -hmm. what is it? News media have developed these apps 
And instead of just giving you a list of numbers and so on and so on, and, and, you know, you've now got to interact with the app, <laughs> which means that if you're on your phone and you touch your ward, you could touch any one of seven other wards that are <laughs> next to it. And so you spend a lot of time trying to get your ward. And then it gets too big for your phone, so you can't find the numbers, then you can't find the component. So, my, you know, I don't have the data that in, to the extent that you have. But quite clearly, South African politics has changed just dramatically, dramatically. It's hard to explain. Mm. And so much for the better, mm. you know, because, because it is going to put people uh, um, on their guard. Those people who still do have power and clout and the ability to award tenders and, you know, hire and fire police commissioners are going to have to listen, you know, are going to pay a little bit of attention more attention to how well they do it because they may not be around in a couple of years. And, you know, if you count the number of people, mm. I don't know about the DA, I think the DA, a couple of hundred, mm. not a thousand DA employees, councillors have lost their jobs. Must be much more for the ANC as well. So can you imagine the, 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 the rage and the anger and the despair mm. around the country from what has occurred? One, you know, this time last week, you were a sitting councillor and you had a salary. Now yeah. you don't. Yeah. You did nothing. I think that's right. I think that's exciting. I was saying to a mate of mine that accosted me this morning while I was having brunch out in Linden, saying how depressed he is by the, the results. And I said, you know what? It actually depends on which part of the results you want to highlight. In one sense, the, re the results are exciting because the ANC has been given a bloody nose and the DA has been told by the electorate that you are not entitled to be the natural alternative. You've got to work hard to be the alternative to the ANC, even if we reject the ANC. But here's my next sort of question leading on from that. It's astonishing to me, Peter, how incredibly lacking in humility both the DA and the ANC are. Whether it's Jesse Duarte, Guerra Mantash, whether it is John Stian Hayson or Helen Ziller, uh, or for Kila Mbalula, I mean, they've all done little quick presses over the last two days or so, and all of them try and spin the numbers. None of them are taking responsibility for the messaging that is encapsulated by the numbers, the data, and they want to externalize the results by saying, but for the following factors, we would have done well. You know, that's just the, that's just the trade that they're in. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a nice place to be, not a nice place to work. And it doesn't necessarily make you a very nice person, too. In fact, it probably makes you a worse person. Mm. Um, they're incapable of internalizing what has happened to them. They're incapable of certainly admitting it. Why would they? You know, I mean, the, 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 the threat, I think, and the thing that's most interested me and not necessarily excited me because I'm not sure that I um, am a supporter, mm. but I think what Herman Mishaba threatens uh, both the DA and the ANC, uh, if he plays his cards right, is quite extraordinary. Because an enormous amount of money, if he asks for it, an enormous amount of money could go his way now, between now and the next and the general election. Mm. And if he doesn't get himself stuck in the job of mayor in, uh, of Johannesburg, mm. but actually, and I've tried to write this for the Sunday Times tomorrow, mm. um, but if he gives himself the space and the time with the money that he's potentially got available to him, 
to develop a national profile, which he still doesn't have. I mean, you can see yeah. somebody was making the point the other day that the further you get away from Joburg, you know, the, 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 the fewer people were voting for, for Action SA. Mm. So he needs to introduce himself to KwaZulu Natal and Lepopo and Longa, the Western Cape. Um, and the message that he's carrying is like they all are now, very populist. Um, and it would, is it is going to resonate with the people who hear it. I'm telling you now, whether it be they rural or urban, um, you know, he's, he, he's a real threat to almost everybody. Yeah. Uh, partly because he's going to be very, very well financed and, and very well organized. People running his party used to run the DA. Yeah. And they are all good. They are good political organizers. Absolutely. Know that about the DA. Absolutely. So, yeah. And he's going to be big. Yeah. No, I think I think that's absolutely spot on. And I want to talk about him and about coalitions in a second, which will be the next big bucket I want us to discuss uh, in today's podcast. But before we get there, I just wanted to 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 first segue into another big picture theme. You know, I don't want to be melodramatic about it, Peter. And uh, you know, maybe you are calmer than than I am in how you see it. But I think there's a crisis of legitimacy in our politics that the low voter turnout represents, and our political parties need to internalize that too. Um, you would be making a, a really serious strategic error as a political party if you were to think that, oh, well, if only the weather was better across the country, voter turnout would have been better. If only we had another two months for campaigning, we would have fired up our base and we would have managed to get more people out. The way I see it is that the low voter turnout, in part, is the fact that people are hurtful, showing itself up in the active decision to stay away. Many of my mates who did not vote didn't do so out of apathy, which is a, a hasty word to use by the commentariat and journalists, journalists. But some people stay away out of classical apathy, and some people stay away because they are almost mourning the lack of serious options that they want to be associated with as voters. And I think that that represents a serious legitimacy crisis. Do you agree with that, or do you think that's slightly exaggerated? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's exaggerated. I mean, it's obviously there, and, and the stay away was, was real, and, and there must be an explanation for it. I mean, I, I, I am probably wrong. But one of the things that excites people, surely in politics, are, are ideas, um, and a battle of ideas, and a battle of ideologies. And they are, there are no ideas in our politics. Yeah. I mean, if there was a single idea being talked about in this election, I'd, I'd really like to know what it was because I didn't hear <laughs> it, um, or read it. So there is no, you know, there is no, um, uh, a battle between the ANC, let's say, and the DA over the market economy. Or, no. I mean, the DA simply doesn't have an economic policy. It, decided, it literally has decided not to have one. Um, the, you know, the, the only party with a consistent economic policy is the economic freedom fund, because they keep on saying the same, the same economic message, whether that is good or bad, I don't know. Mm. By the way, do you know that the, that the, uh, I think that the, that the EFF vote, in numbers, I think about 4.2 million voters voted EFF in this election. It's exactly the same number of voters who voted for it in 2019. Um, 
I don't really know what that means, but I mean, it's it also sort of, you know, it, it, is, it, it speaks to, um, uh, I don't know, an inability to get your base out or to increase your base. That's right, Peter. And actually, I was reading, now that I am colleagues again with all of us, Makudu Safara's uh, copy of his column for the Sunday Times tomorrow. And he looked at an absolute number comparison with 2016. Actually, that's even more interesting um, because then they had a million more people who turned out. So in their case, the fact that they have more counselors this year is a bit deceptive. Sure, they, they, they've done less embarrassingly, comparatively speaking, than the ANC and the DA because the slide hasn't been as bad. And in fact, they have picked up more council members than they did in 2016. But interestingly, um, although their share of the vote increased and their share of council seats increased, the physical number of bodies that voted for them in 2016 were a million fewer. So the 2019 number that you suggest suggests flatlining. But if you take 2019 out of the picture and you compare apples with apples, actually they managed to – there were a million people that were excited about them in 2016 who didn't go and vote for them. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's got to be about ideas. I mean, our politics are boring and, and, and they're not about any, you know, people go on and on about service delivery and making, you know, promises. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's very difficult. And I do feel sorry for political journalists in this country because they're nothing almost, mm. I mean, what do you, <laughs> you know, yet another empty, empty vessel making an empty promise. But, yeah. But, um, uh, it, things are what they are, you know, and, and, and what I suspect that possibly, um, well, I suspect he will also turn out to be a populist. Um, if Herman Mashaba were to begin to profile himself as somebody who was pro, well, we don't, he didn't need the profile either, he was head of the Free Market Foundation before he became, but, you know, so, yeah. so a, a market economy, we want to create a million black entrepreneurs, um, Whatever, whatever, you know what I mean. So that and find and 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 watch the DA counter that, or watch other parties. I'd love to see it happen. You know, but it's, uh, it's I give up. It's not going to happen. No, it won't, unfortunately. And I think you're right. I mean, you explored this with Tony Leon when he was on your platform. And whatever you, whatever any of our listeners think about Tony Leon's diagnoses of how Musi Maimane did as leader and how the party did in the last general election, I think the one thing he said was right. I think his solution to the problem was wrong, in my opinion, but his diagnosis was right. You've got to distinguish yourself from the opposition with a signature idea or political philosophy or signature policy. And you can't just be, we are not the ANC. And I'm afraid Herman is a bit like that. I mean, the most we can do in terms of giving him a unique value proposition, Peter, is we know that he doesn't like immigrants. You will say only, you know, you know, so we can talk about that. We know he's a capitalist. But when I interviewed him a few days ago, he, his refrain to me, Peter, kept being, Eusebius, even if I don't become mayor of Johannesburg, I won't leave politics until the ANC is gone, and then I will go back into business. And I listened to you talking about you need ideas to fire up our politics again and to animate political discourse. He does have commitments to market fundamentalism, but his reason for waking up in the morning, like John Stiernason's, is to get rid of the ANC. It's not a positive program. 
Yeah, it's a pity. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's they they let us down and they let themselves down as uh, by by simply not yeah uh, working with ideas. I think uh, basically, you know, ideas it can be scary because you can be wrong or you sure. can be argued or you could be proved to be an idiot, and so you don't want to get caught um, having the thought that might you might end up be being sort of mocked for. Um, but, you know, unless you do try, and I mean, I, I've done it for as long as I've had the privilege of, you know, newspaper real estate at my disposal. Mm. I've always tried to have ideas. And some of them, are, you know, when you look back, you think, oh, God, did I really think that? <laughs> What's really nice is listening to somebody, you know, have an idea and really, really deliver it with conviction and, and, and belief. I agree. But I think, I think your point, Peter, is really, really deep. It requires leadership, doesn't it? To stake an idea and to be prepared to be wrong and to not feel emasculated if you do turn out to be wrong. That's okay too. But to only be critiquing the status quo, which isn't unimportant, but you can't build an alternative potential government just on being excellent at critiquing the government of the day. Yeah. Look, I, 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 the only reason I talk about him and Mashaba being a possible Contenders, I really do think that there is going to be an absolute mountain of money being thrown at this guy um, uh, in the next in the next few years. He is a um, uh, he, for white business or for business. He's a godsend. More than John Stearson. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the DA simply is not connected to business in any. Intellectually interesting. Yeah. Part. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody knows that, you know, you're just not going to get elected if you're white. I mean, if mm. no party with a white leader no. is, is, can be a serious contender for national power. I, th- I mean, I think you, I think you spot up. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Don't forget about it. Don't be stupid. Mm. And, and, um, uh, and, and Herman Mashaba is a, is a real, is a real kind of contender for the for the for the sort of money looking for a black-led conservative alternative. It's a conservative black alternative, and it's and it's a and he's real. I haven't thought about that framing. I think I think you 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 spot on. Socially conservative, economically conservative. And forceful. And see, the other thing about it, about it is that you know we're fundamentally a very, very conservative country. We are. We actually are. Yeah, my politics is not the politics of the country, including my family. Peter, I want us to tackle one last big theme before we get ready to bite our nails while watching the boys play England. Um, and that is coalition politics. You know, I, I, if you haven't listened to it, I'll, I'm going to send you a beautiful discussion I had with. Uh, talking about people with energy and passion with Adam Abib uh, the other day. Yeah, he's great. And we, we had a really productive little discussion around how should, especially someone like Herman, but all the parties approach coalition politics. I gave him that task. He slept on it. And the morning after, we recorded a lovely little discussion. And, you know, one of the, to cut a long story short, him and I talked ourselves into a couple of agreements, and not every commentator need agree with us, that the worst mistake you can make is to conflate 
national politics with local politics in the coalition elections. Don't bring in highfalutin principles and values and constitutionalism and this, that, and the other. I mean, firstly, no one's going to disagree with some of these things that the DA, for example, say, we won't negotiate unless you're into, like, the rule of law. Well, no one's going to say they're not, right? Um, but but it, the EFF has now overnight put out principles that are preconditioned for going into coalitions. The DA has articulated that all along. The ANC leaders do it off the cuff at press conferences, like Jesse Duarte saying yesterday, yeah. unless you are committed to BEE and to non-racism, you're a non-starter as a, as a party for us to speak with. And Adam was saying, actually, the way to approach it is to do a couple of basic things. Negotiate practically, programmatically, program with a small p, and you say, I'm passionate about the billing crisis. I'm passionate about these things. Let's divvy up the responsibilities. You take what, I take what. Secondly, let's have transparency. As soon as we've got an agreement contractually, I'm going to put it on my website. Does anyone disagree? Transparency is good, right? It's part of democracy. And then you show your residents of the city what you are doing. But when I look at how this is already starting to unfold in the last day, um, Peter, it is back to the old, let's do horse training about positions and let's talk about whether or not you're going to sign up to my my land reform program or to my pet national issue. And I think to myself, my God, we're in for intractable discussions over the next two weeks because these guys are putting on the agenda, each one of them, a list, a shopping list of items that shouldn't be there. Yeah, look, they've all drawn their lines in the sand, haven't they? And, and, and um, you know, the other thing that you should have asked Adam, or I would have, now that I think I hear you explaining what he said is, what do you do if they do what they are doing? I mean, how do you repunish them again? Yeah. You know, what is, what, what, what's the next, what's the next wrath of God look like hmm. if they, if they can't even do this? Um, yeah. If they're this, if they're this awful. Look, I think that what will happen is that we will get some rational, um, finality, whatever the posing might be about transformation sure. or land or whatever it might be. Mm. You simply have to, otherwise salaries don't get paid. <laughs> unions will be on the streets. Mm. Um, uh, cities won't work. You know, politicians, kids won't be able to go to school, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm. So, it will it will work its way out in some way. Um, whether it will work its way out finally to the benefit of the public, you know, we've got reason by now to be a bit sceptical of all of that. But um, if, you know, some form of government will continue to occur. What really what really matters, what really happens, what really worries me mm. is. It doesn't worry me. It, it's actually beginning to excite me for the first time for a while. Is 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 how you know the road to twenty twenty four yeah. begins to uh, unfold. Well, that's 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 a very good point, right? And and I'd love to discuss that with you. Yeah, that you know people say don't conflate uh, local and national elections, but local elections have become to be referendums or referenda on the national government. I think that's true, yeah. Uh, yeah. 2016 was a referendum on, on Jacob Zuma. This one has been a referendum on Sora Ramaphosa. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 in a way, it's great being a South African. We're so lucky, you know, that we can get out there and make a cross next to those names where, where we, where we want to. Mm. Um, the, the, um, 
you know, the consequences aren't always great, and the politicians are always going to let you down because they're not very, you know, they're not very good. They're like, they just, yeah, I mean, what do we say about our politicians, you know? They, 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 they are, um, it's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a, not a difficult job, really. Yeah. Um, you just have to do, you know, you just have to, you just have to, Join a party and do the sort of drudge work, and sooner or later you get a good position, and you know, provided you've licked enough stamps and put up enough posters. Yeah, that's the only threshold requirement. <laughs> but the last question I want to ask you is this: um, We often speak to the people who do have a crapload of money. Some of them want to know what the political risk are of risks are of investing in either the economy in general, particular parts of it. Some people listening to the conversation, as you know, many of your wealthy readers over the years of Business Day and Financial Mail want to know, and that's why in part they read those great um, brands, is what is the overall health of South Africa's democracy? You know, elections are important, but they one formal marker of the state of your politics. There are many other things, formal, informal, uh, formal and substantive and all these things that political scientists would talk about technically. Elections matter profoundly, but it's not the only way to take the temperature of the country. If we step away from the election and, and ask one last um, so what question, as you asked your journalist in the newsroom as an editor, uh, what is the ultimate takeaway here in relation to our democracy? Is South Africa's democracy still healthy? And is South Africa still an exciting destination? Or are there profound crises here and the proverbial precipice is something that we will continue to come back to as we did in, in you know, with what happened in KZN and in Gauteng? Yeah. Well, the answer to that is that I think that we, is that we are still an exciting democracy. Um, uh, I, I, I live here very comfortably. I could live wherever I wanted to in the world and I don't want to, I absolutely don't want to leave here. Hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by what goes on in this country. Uh, I love being part of it, and and I'm very privileged to be able to, you know, shout out loud at things that I want to. Mm. On the on the economic side, there is huge potential here, absolutely huge. Uh, and 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 I guess the the best way to explain what it looks like. If you started doing exactly the opposite of what the government is doing, mm. um, which is trying to place itself at the center of all economic policy, uh, discussion and planning and, and, um, uh, and execution, um, you would, you would immediately see the results, uh, in terms of growth and jobs. Mm. Our problem here is that we have lost We've lost jobs, but we've lost jobs because we've lost employers and we need to replace the employers. So unless you've got employers, you can't have jobs. Mm. And the only way to get employers now, because a million people have left, they've taken their skills and they've gone, you've got to find another million people to replace them. Yeah. You can't send a kid to a training school and teach him to be a plumber and send him out into the world to plumb because he won't know how to do that, mm. you know. You learn, the only way to learn skills, you serious, is to watch somebody else doing something for a very long time and then have him or her watch you doing it for a very long time as well. Mm. And we need, we need, a, and this is what becomes impossible under the ANC, is a, is a 
very, very targeted and serious immigration program which allows people to come and live here and stay here forever if after a couple of years they can show that they've created three or four or five jobs or whatever the number is. Otherwise, there are no, there's no job creation going on here. There is no, there's no job creation because there are no employers. You look around, Brian Patel is trying to make, you know, all master plans with the clicks and the checkers and the car industries. But those companies are, you know, they, they have a position to defend and he's doing them a favor. But they, their, their profits and their growth don't depend on hiring more people. Mm. They depend on hiring fewer people, in fact, mm. automating more, doing less. So how you get South Africans employed is you go out there and you say to people in Hungary and Poland and Korea and wherever, you know, come and live here, come and work here, it's great. There are golf courses, there's fantastic sea, there's mountains, etc., etc. Just employ, you know, start a business, we'll help you. If you succeed, you can start. Mm. Absolutely. Um, uh, that would be seen as, you know, taking jobs away from South Africans, whatever it might be, which is absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. But we, we, we don't appreciate the extent of the loss of skills that we've suffered. There are things in South Africa that we simply can't do ourselves anymore. Mm. And it's crazy. Peter, I love reading your column and I'm enjoying the podcasting you've been doing. I'm glad you've got into podcasting. It's been fantastic. Yeah. And thanks so much for coming on my platform. I look forward to coming on yours as well in the near future. Well, I hope you do. And I'm going to invite you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.